I'm Addie. And I'm Mira. And you're listening to Open Casket, a supernatural podcast about the show that just won't stay dead. <laughs> New this week, as in day we are recording, Misha Collins is still heterosexual. The Misha Collins New Jersey panel was today, as in literally like five or six hours ago. I still don't entirely know what happened, but I'm assuming the usual shenanigans. It wasn't even like, that's not what the question was. It wasn't related to the question asked. What was the question asked? <laughs> it was something about, like, sleeping positions and, like, his favorite sleeping positions. Oh, and is that when he, he, he made some comment about, like, going both ways? Yeah. And then apparently maybe made a quote-unquote joke about Warner Brothers telling him maybe you shouldn't come out as straight. <laughs> it was literally, like, who is braver? A bisexual man or a straight man having to write a th- Twitter thread about how he's not bisexual. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Anyways. We're not here to talk about all that. Yeah, Misha Collins doesn't exist in our podcast yet, so. Yeah. Today, we've got three more episodes. They are Bugs, <laughs> Home, and Asylum. Do you want to just jump right into Bugs? Yeah, well, jumping into Bugs... Okay. okay, first, Bugs, directed by Kim Manners, who you might remember, directed episode three, Dead in the Water. He kind of took over as the as a director and producer when the show was getting on its feet. He directed 17 episodes of Supernatural before he passed away. This episode was written by Rachel Nave and Bill Coakley. They have no other credits on anything. Like at all? At all. I was trying really hard to figure out who these people were, and apparently Rachel Nave is a friend of Eric Kripke, and he mentions that she helps out on the show a lot, so I guess they might have been assistants? The WB really didn't have any money, huh? (laughs) Yeah, the WB didn't have money. I guess not everybody believed in this show, and bugs came to be. Oh, god. I don't even know how to... This episode kind of has the same thing as Bloody Mary, where it's like, there is theoretically so much happening in it, theoretically, and going off of the cold open, it is a pretty scary premise. However, they do explain it away as, like, it was a Native American curse, who the white men will die. So. Yeah. But also, we just pretty much summed up the whole episode. So instead of going through it from top to bottom like we usually do, um, I'm gonna give Quick summary, um, a guy dies at a construction site, they don't really know what happened, but Dean and Sam figure bugs, bugs are involved. Basically, they find out there's a, um, Native American wise man stereotype where he tells them about the land being cursed and a swarm of bugs is gonna attack the family developing on this land, the new neighborhood. 
Um, and they just waited out until sunrise, which happens in like five minutes conveniently. It's like from midnight until sunrise, but it takes like five minutes in the show. And that's it. Did I miss anything? The real estate lady dies. Yeah, bugs come out of a woman's shower. It's like spiders. And one fully crawls all over her face and she's very chill about it before the shower. (laughs) But the actual important thing, to me at least, that happens in this episode is we learn a lot about Dean and Sam and how they view themselves and each other. And in terms of how they think their dad viewed them. Do we? Yes. <laughs> I feel like I missed this in the like because I know they do have a lot of family arguments. Yeah. So, just like in the middle of the road in this one. Yeah, it, it's there's two arguments and I like paused this the the show and like wrote a manifesto. I don't know, it really spoke to me. So for the context, it, there's the people who are basically cursed is the this guy and his family who are developing a fancy neighborhood. And the teenage son is a bit of a little weirdo, you know, and he likes bugs and he's like in AP classes or whatever. And his dad, his dad just doesn't understand him. So Sam's all like, oh, you know, hang in there. It gets better. And anytime he sees like the dad and son arguing, he's like, oh man, our dad was just as shitty as that, right? Huh? And Dean is like, our dad never treated us like that. And during their first time seeing this argument, Sam makes the comment, maybe he never treated you like that because you were perfect, but dad was always on my case. Yeah, um, they say something about like, we've already pointed this out, or rather I have already pointed this out of like, Sam being the rebellious son who, like, doesn't really listen to their dad and disagrees with him fundamentally, but also, like, in a weird way is aligned with their dad, especially now that Jess is dead. And then Dean, of course, following orders, like, seeing their dad as a sort of, I don't think it's explicitly been spelled out yet, but, like, as a sort of god figure... This is that note that I was talking about before we pressed record of, like, this will become very relevant in season five. <laughs> but yeah, I we can't really get into it right now because the show hasn't really... The show is currently laying that out and not necessarily expanding on it, but it's right. important to point out as, like, a fun tool that will help us later. Mm-hmm. But then the second time Dean and Sam argue about how Sam's kind of projecting onto this kid and giving him the advice he he probably would have given his younger self. He makes the comment of, don't worry, as soon as you turn 18, you can go to college, get away from this house and your dad. And Dean is like shocked. He's like, why would you tell him that? You need to tell him to stick with the family, respect the old man. And Sam says that, again, that Dean wouldn't understand because he always felt like his dad treated him differently, that his dad thought of him as less than Dean. They continue to argue, and Sam says, no matter what I did, he would always be disappointed in me. Even if we find him, I don't even think he'd want to see me. This is when Dean gets a little emotional, and I would love to have a discussion, because I think we, we agree, you know, like Sam Sam was the rebellious one. He thought his dad didn't like him. He's the black sheep of their little family of three. But what what I wrote my manifesto on is Dean's response to all of this. He says, Dad wasn't disappointed. 
he was scared. Um, he was worried about Sam and he used to swing by Stanford to check on him. Dean sounds like almost sad about all of this and like his face is emotional. Jacting Joyce's. <laughs> um, but I just had this thought of like, Dean, maybe, I don't know if it was disbelief at the fact that Sam is feeling this way or maybe like even some jealousy that, you know, Sam could do all of this wrong, like quote unquote wrong of disobeying their dad. And then his dad still like goes out of his way to visit him at Stanford. In Phantom Traveler, we heard that his dad was, um, John was proud of Sam for getting into Stanford. So now we're just getting these two conflicting points of view of how John views Sam. Yeah, and I think partially that also has to be obviously the fact that Dean is the older sibling, and so he's mm -hmm. going to see a different version of their dad than Sam is. Like, I can't figure out a way to say this without getting into, I guess, spoilers. So this is uh, this is more so light spoilers, but sort of the parent role that Dean was made to fill. Right. I feel like John probably would have, even if he didn't, like, trust Dean more mm -hmm. he would have kind of shown him the other side of the curtain even though he still probably sees dean like in his eyes at least as his son i can't believe we're having this discussion in bugs um <laughs> i told you i didn't believe it either but i have three pages of like ramblings when you told me you had three pages of notes on bug <laughs> i was like <laughs> Did you, like, take your meds? Like, are you about to start watching South Park? What's going on? <laughs> Don't expose me. My depression show. No, but uh, I think I did because... I'm gonna expose myself here. I am the younger sibling. And I was just like, it's so true. Older siblings are the peacekeepers. Whereas younger siblings are gonna be like fuck you, I don't care that you're my dad. Like, not understanding that, especially when your older sibling takes care of you. You have that type of relationship with your siblings. No matter, if you're a sibling, you know, you can fight with each other, scream at each other, but like your siblings, that's not going to change if you have a good relationship. And that becomes so conflated if your older sibling is also then acting as a caretaker. And you'll be like, well, I have such a good relationship with my sibling who's acting as a caretaker why is my parent who's supposed to be a caretaker being an asshole don't psychoanalyze me <laughs> yeah um so i don't have quite as much like trauma related to that it <laughs> seems but i am an older sibling right yes and i can tell you like my sister's currently away at college and me and my mom just straight up have so many conversations about her when she's not here. <laughs> not even, like, like about anything bad. It's just, like, yeah, you really do kind of fill in as the sort of reassuring role of, like, it's probably all fine. Like, she'll come to one of us if something goes fucking wrong. It'll be okay. Also, haha, did you see this thing on her Instagram story? <laughs> Dumbass. Like, it really is like that. Right. And now sort of expand that out times 5,000% when it's literally like, what if my son 
whose mother died when he was six months old, like, gets into a situation he can't take care of. He can't take care of himself in, what do I do if I'm halfway across the country, you know? Yeah, younger siblings, your parents and your older siblings talk about you all the time. And, like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, but it does feel like a betrayal. <laughs> yeah, we're not, like, revealing your secrets. We're just making jokes about that time you got drunk at, like, 16. But turning this back to Sam and Dean and John, part of me, during their arguments and the points they're both trying to make to each other, I wonder, I think they're both unreliable narrators in this instant of how John treated them. But they're kind of unreliable in a way that cancels each other out. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Oh my god. Oh my god, I just put this together. So it's like in Succession. <laughs> you remember like episode eight of Succession when they're talking about Dog Pound? Yes. Yes. And how like all of the siblings have different memories of what actually happened. And then you can kind of like cross reference all of the memories to figure out what what like the reality of the situation was. It's like that. For anyone who doesn't watch Succession, HBO Succession, there's... A family of three siblings plus their older half-brother. So there's the four siblings. The youngest boy, Roman. Played by Kieran Culkin. <laughs> yes. Very important note. Has the childhood memory of the quote-unquote game where he would be locked in a dog cage and forced to eat dog food. But his older brother, Kendall, played by... Jeremy Strong. Yes. From Cambridge, Massachusetts, represent. Um, he has the memory of, no, you liked going in the dog cage it was your favorite game to play and you wouldn't eat dog food you would eat chocolate and it's a really fucked up and fascinating show <laughs> yeah you kind of get the sense through it of like how roman feels about the situation and sort of the the traumatic effect it had on him versus why the other siblings didn't think it was a big deal this is also dating the podcast season four <laughs> episode three was on sunday <laughs> so i'm dealing emotionally with the aftermath of that like a week later still i didn't sleep for like three days anyway back to supernatural a much worse show <laughs> so it's i guess the idea is we're hearing both dean and sam's ideas of who john winchester is and neither of them are necessarily lying or like saying things to convince the other to get them on their side they're both relaying memories as they are true to them if that makes sense yes definitely um and then i think there's just one other moment where they are the horrible like locus <laughs> I, I kept thinking of it as like sending these signs of the apocalypse sending the locust to this guy's house wasn't it it was bees right yeah but the native american curse oh. It's going to happen, and they call the the, the son, because Sam has his phone number, because he just gets everybody's phone number, and he's like, you got to get your mom and dad and yourself out of that house. Dean just tells him how to fake appendicitis. Yeah, yeah. Sam is trying to tell him, like, you know, be honest, make him listen, tell him what you were thinking, and Dean's like, you're a dumbass, here's how you fake appendicitis, get yourself to the hospital. How this whole episode, they've been like comparing this kid's dad to their dad and obviously both projecting onto this kid. And I'm like, that's definitely how Dean views every single argument um, Sam and John had. Dean's sitting there being like, Sam, why are you arguing your point? He's not gonna listen. There's no 
point in making him understand what you feel. Just do something that will get the outcome that you want, no matter if it's the truth. Yeah. This is not where I was expecting our bugs conversation <laughs> and you saying you had a three-page essay going. I, like I said, I was pausing my, my episode. I think, uh, don't psychoanalyze me, but I was just like, wow, I am Sam right in this i'm sam in this episode <laughs> pov you start a supernatural podcast a cast girl and end up a sam girl i'm not a sam girl though <laughs> because i realized the error in my ways and i learned how to fake appendicitis metaphorically <laughs> don't psychoanalyze me don't psychoanalyze recognition me. of the self through the other <laughs> no i guess i didn't really zero in on this uh because of the 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 gay jokes <laughs> yeah that also happened the wincesties won on this one unfortunately yeah i hate it i will never respect it but i think i know where it came from yeah um here's the thing how do i say this without getting blacklisted this is a safe space i feel like in a post irony world that is a very funny joke. In a 2005 world, it's not. The whole spiel of, like, we recognize homeowners of any race, religion, blah, 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 or sexual orientation. The place that the writers were making that joke from versus, like, the place that a anti-liberal leftist, like, queer person would make that joke from right. are very different. I laughed when I heard it, and then I was like... I wonder how this would hit in 2005. Yeah, because in 2005, the joke's that, oh, they think they're gay. In 2023, the joke is, oh, look at this, like, meaningless spiel for, like, consumerist purposes. Please buy a house in this extremely expensive development. We won't discriminate. Please just fork over money. Please. Please. And also, they both deliver it in the exact same cadence. Yes. <laughs> and I think that cu that customer service voice of like these are very t clearly the two people that came up with this right and it's it holds no actual meaning it's just a script unfortunately the joke is they think they're gay the joke isn't haha look at these people trying to sell houses on a haunted piece of land you know we time passes we view media differently we can we can claim this joke <laughs> yeah i do not claim the wincesties though no, we don't claim the Wincesties, but we have officially reclaimed the mistaking Sam and Dean as a gay couple spiel for the queers. Equality. <laughs> okay. So, um... The other notes I had in this episode were about... Some more about Dean and me trying to psychoanalyze Dean. Of course they are. <laughs> Go ahead. Right after the murder opening, we've got... Sam and Dean trying to find their next case. And Sam makes the comment of, what if we got jobs? And Dean's like, no, hustling pool is fun and easy. This is how we were raised. Sam makes the comment again, we were raised poorly. It, it got me thinking how the way Dean views the world, like there are moments where he acknowledges that the way he was raised was fucked up. But a lot of the time, he still justifies his actions with, like, well, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how I grew up doing it. And it's just he's so comfortable and used to, like, lies and crime that it doesn't feel immoral to him in a way. 
I don't know, just as I was watching this episode in my mind, I was like his, the way he views like what is right, what is wrong, what's the monster, what's the good guy is just very skewed, I think. And this was just also, I, I started writing this when they break into one of the show houses instead of going to a motel because he wants because he wants to use the fancy shower. I actually had a note about this. At some point when they're touring the house at like the open house, Dean makes some comment about like, oh, is this really what you want? Like a normal apple pie life? I don't think that's the exact quote, but it's along those lines. And he, he talks about how like, um, that's not his life. Like that's not what he wants, blah, blah, blah. We will come to see that he is extremely lying here. Like, this man is so repressed. And what he really wants is, like, very basic things. Like, very normal things. And I feel like that has something to do with, like, what you were talking about. Of sort of having this black- almost, like, a black and white sense of morality and justice instilled into him by his dad. I don't know if this makes sense, but, like, expanding that out to, well, we're hunting things, once again, saving people hunting things, like, we're hunting things and so I can't quit this and go live this way, or even acknowledge to myself that this is what I want, because to acknowledge it is to, like, point out that I do not want to be living the way that I am living right now. Right. And I think he, to some degree, he associates like the way that he is living now as being the right thing to do. And to not want that is to want to do the wrong thing. Which then in turn loops back around to the Sam conversation of like, Sam left, which is, I guess, subconsciously in Dean's mind is the wrong thing. Like is the thing you're not supposed to do. We're psychoanalyzing bugs, you guys. Because the episode has like, the episode has like nothing going for it in the plot. And so we have to turn to the actual, like, quote-unquote good things about it, which is the, like, six conversations about how they have- how Sam has issues with their dad and Dean defending him in the middle of the street. Literally one time, literally, Sam is holding a bag full- or, like, a, a tarp full of, like, ancient bones that they're just <laughs> yeah. standing in front of this archaeology professor this archaeology building or like humanities building in the middle of this college campus having this argument with like a, just bones like holding a pile of bones like the episode is stupid but the conversations they're having are important which is almost what makes the episode worse because it's not it's not like Hookman, which was just stupid like bugs has some things to say external from the episode itself which almost makes it worse because then they have like the racism is bad little mini slogan that's like okay gold star but also you did a racism while talking about how racism is bad i was gonna say like hey at least they called them native americans yeah which is different from episode two <laughs> We don't talk about episode two anymore. We don't have to. Oh, actually, we do later this this episode because it has to... Not bugs, but during this podcast episode because it has to do with one of the fun facts. Okay. Um, But back to what you were saying. Of You made the comment, you know, like, Dean has his black and white view of morality and, like, a black and white of what I'm supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to do. And I think it's 
because of how he was raised, it's like so skewed <laughs> and doesn't make sense to anyone besides him. Um, but I also wanted to say, give me one minute to not be normal. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear it. Metaphor of being gay. <laughs> Are we talking about freak? What? Are we talking about freak or are we talking about the metaphor of being gay via Dean Winchester? Because I have things to say about freak. The metaphor of being gay via Dean Winchester and his concept of what he truly wants is what his dad raised him to believe is wrong. Uh, this is very funny in retrospect of the Winchester's CW original. I don't know anything about it. Yes, so... That was just a little metaphor thought I had. I'll I'll be normal. Oh wait, one second. I also had the fun <laughs> note of when Dean Dean makes the comments of I'd blow my brains out if I lived in the suburbs, and I just had the note of find a way to make this about gay Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I'm normal again now, so we can move on. <laughs> Here's the thing: Dean Winchester does not live in the suburbs. He also does not live in a city. He lives in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, <laughs> and he likes it that way. Alright, did we? Did you have anything else on Bugs? Um, I did. Uh, Freak Watch. Uh, we get two uses of Freak in this episode. The last one, I believe, was in Skin. This will become important later. They break into an active crime scene and actively start touching literally everything in the house. Yes. Yeah. Um, when the- I don't know if she's actually a realtor. The lady that dies via spiders. They do such a, like, exploitative shot. <laughs> yeah. Because they- she's showering, and then she falls out of the shower and, like, shatters the door or whatever. And they do almost, from a different angle, the same pan-up shot they did of Jensen Ackles' ass. But of, like, a naked woman. Yes, as we established, the male gaze shot. <laughs> and now it's being applied more traditionally. Except she's, like, dead. Didn't like that. Um, also, the kid, Matt, or whatever his name is, I feel like he would really like herping. Excuse me? <laughs> herping? I don't know what that is. People go into, the, like, the woods, and they find and identify, like, amphibians and lizards and stuff. Now that like he hates type. bugs, it's it's controversial because, like, don't touch nature, like, don't fuck with nature, but also, it's 2005, no one's thinking about that yet. So, uh, little wrap-up stuff. The songs that are supposed to be there instead of the Netflix songs. Um, in the bar scene, it's supposed to be Rock of Ages by Def Leppard, which was also in Bloody Mary, apparently. At the end... It's supposed to be No One Like You by Scorpions, and Super Wiki literally credits the Netflix song as, like, series of question marks by series of question marks. They don't know what the song is that is actually in the Netflix episode. And then, fun facts. First, I will go into the one that's not as involved. Um, The Umbrellas. This is, if not the only, one of the only episodes where Sam and Dean use Umbrellas. Because apparently Eric Kripke was like, oh, in the X-Files, they use umbrellas, and they're like plain black umbrellas, and they're really cool and suave. 
And then literally one of, I forget if it was who exactly it was, but someone that worked on the X-Files was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, Sam and Dean aren't, like, implied homophobic slurs enough. Like, they should just not use umbrellas. Like, it's not cool if they use umbrellas. No, it was, um... Kim Manners, the director who directed X-Files, he he had them use umbrellas because they use umbrellas in the X-Files, and then it's Eric Kripke has a tweet. Oh, it's the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to try that again? No, it's fine. Okay. You can just... I just had it written down, umbrellas are stupid, so I improved on top of it because I remembered <laughs> it was something like that. Yeah. Um, the real important one is the bees. Um, so... You know when you're watching Lord of the Rings with someone who's really into Lord of the Rings, and when Aragorn kicks the helmet, they can't help but say to the person next to them, hey, did you know that Viggo Mortensen actually broke his foot during that shot, and that's the shot they use in the movie, and that's why he screams like that? There are a couple of supernatural facts that I feel like are like that for hardcore supernatural fans, and one of them is the bees. So, at the end of this episode... There's a scene where they basically have to survive out the night as a bunch of bugs and bees try to, like, get in and kill them, right? They filmed this scene with actual bees, and it was so complicated because they thought that the CGI bees would look bad. The bees didn't end up showing very well on camera, so they had to CGI in bees, even though they did, in fact, film the scene with, like, dozens and dozens and dozens, like, a fuck ton of live bees. And Jensen Ackles has told this story, like, three times, and this story is on the SuperWiki Fun Facts list three separate times. It is the- the legacy of this episode is the bees story in a very real way. That and being, like, Eric Kripke's one of his, like, top ten worst Supernatural episodes, it's the bees story. That's the only thing that matters here. The bees- Anyway, moving on to Home. <laughs> season 1, episode 10. Home is season 1, episode 9. Yes. 9. nine. <laughs> this one is directed by Ken Girardi. This is his only Supernatural credit, but he did a lot of random directing during this time of like 2005-2006. And then he went on to direct a bunch of episodes for Orphan Black and Daredevil. Oh, cool. I like both of those shows. Right? They're both good. Um, and this one is a um, Kripke written story. Yes, and that makes sense because it is arguably the first one that actually touches the meta plot. Sam and Dean go back to Lawrence, their hometown, following a vision Sam has of their old house. We start on a cold open little girl named Sari, uh, scared of something in her closet. Her mom comes in, it's like, there's nothing in there. Puts a chair in front of it. Then she finds the pictures of Sam and Dean's family somewhere in the house. And also there's like a flaming figure in the little girl's closet because it comes out of the closet. Ta-da! Thoughts? I think my only thought was there are a lot of blonde women who look like Mary. Yeah, in this episode. In this show. In this show. Uh, there's a direct parallel, there's a couple of direct uh, parallels in this one to the pilot. Specifically, like, she's scared of the thing in her closet. Her mom's like, oh, there's nothing in there, you'll be alright. Meanwhile, if you will refer back to the source text, 
<laughs> of the pilot. Dad gave me a 45. Yeah, I don't know why. I felt like this this cold open went on for a really long time. Even though time-wise, it was probably the same as everything else. As all of the other episodes. But it felt like it kind of dragged a little bit. It did feel a bit slower. I think especially because there's like the dual reveal of the flaming monster in the closet. And then also the mother finding the... um photographs of the winchester family yeah but like there wasn't like a victim necessarily nobody died in the cold open so it was just like a scene anyway we move on sam's having a nightmare he wakes up um he's drawing like a fuck ton of trees and he figures out that it's the tree from the lawrence house and dean's like why should we go back there like you're just having weird nightmares and this is where Sam reveals that he was having nightmares of Jess's death for days before it happened. Dean says he swore never to go back to the house. Because mm-hmm. it's after this reveal, honestly, Dean seems more distressed about returning to their house than he does with Sam's psychic abilities. He kind of just accepts that his brother's having visions and he's like, but really, we gotta, we gotta go back to Lawrence? Also. I don't know why this is not related to that at all. I don't know why, but Jared Padalecki's face <laughs> in this scene, and I guess in this entire episode, he has like resting puppy dog eyes face <laughs> in a way that I haven't really noticed before or since. And I think it might have just been how they did the- his hair in this episode. I think it's the hair. I don't know. I think it's the hair. It made Gilmore Girls make a lot more sense. (laughs) Retroactively. And he also actually looks like a 22-year-old. So, I don't know how old Jared Padalecki is. Yeah, he was around that age anyway, so it makes sense that he looks the right age. (laughs) Anyway, they are going back to the old house. They talk to the lady there, explain that they used to live there, ask to go see inside. Also, though, Dean is, again, immediately ready to lie and be like, we're part of the FBI or whatever. But Sam just cuts him off and tells the truth of, like, this used to be our old house. And, like, Dean instantly becomes uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, it's literally Sam's got kind of the vibe of, like, bro, you don't have to lie. Like, we literally do have a valid reason for being here. Not everything has to be a front. It is kind of weird that she just let them into the house, but, like, not really. Do you know what's even weirder? And it reminded me of the era that this was uh, written in. Mm -hmm. Is that she, as a single mother with no job, is able to purchase this house. (laughs) And then I remembered that this is pre the recession. This is pre-2008 by, like, three years. She's losing that house in 2008, buddy. I'm sorry. Oh, no! Rest in peace, but, like... Oh, that's so true. They probably sold that to her with some crazy, like, interest rate. The bubble's gonna pop. Like, she's not gonna be able to afford the home payments. That's the real horror. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, again, though, I want to say not to continuously psychoanalyze Dean, but you made the comment of, you know, Sam being like, you don't always have to put put up a front, bro. But it's like, no, Dean does always have to put up a front. Where was that one Tumblr post of, like, Dean performs masculinity so strictly that 
it's like he's performing drag, but he's doing it completely <laughs> seriously. <laughs> no, I don't know that post, but it sounds good. Oh, I thought I'd sent it to you before. Okay. It's oh, one please. of um Google Docs Dykes posts. <laughs> okay. Moving on. <laughs> anyway, uh we didn't we cannot get through this scene. Um she tells them about like having weird <laughs> Signs of a ghost. It's signs of a ghost. Ghostly we don't have happenings. To... Yeah. Um. Dean is like, is it Dean or Sam? Some one of them's like, let's approach this like a normal case. Like we can't afford to get wrapped up in this. The only difference in this is that we know the history of the house. Like we know what could have caused this. Yeah. This is this is Dean saying that, and he's very much like, we gotta chill out. But he's the one who's more panicked. We gotta compartmentalize, dude. <laughs> They take all of their dad's notes. Dean reveals to Sam that he carried him out of the house, and Sam didn't know that. Aww. Pensive emoji. (laughs) Yeah. Also, this is yet another example of them having a screaming match in the middle of the road. Then we get uh, the, the scene where Dean calls John, and once again we get the mismatch of the phone numbers. But he's so scared and just wants his dad. He just wants his dad. He's like, my frontal lobe just now developed. Can't you please, like, help us out on this one? Please. Please, I'm traumatized. Please, pretty please, I'm traumatized. But his dad doesn't answer. He's having this conversation on the road where if they had grown up there, he would have, like, walked up to the bus stop. Like, the school bus stop to get on the bus or like played in the road on this exact very same road or like ridden his bike around this very block oh no i understand why this episode's emotional now (laughs) (laughs) i can't have another breakdown i cannot (laughs) have another breakdown this one's crying the last one was hysterical laughter this one is just crying (laughs) <laughs> i hurt myself anyway um the plumber gets his hand chopped off by the garbage disposal you gross i forgot about it but then when it was starting i was like oh yeah obviously we know it's coming but i couldn't watch and i have so much trauma from if you know the show heroes hayden Penetier's character like doesn't feel pain and like grows back after injuries or whatever so she has the scene where she like sticks her hand in the garbage disposal and like turns it on to like test it or whatever and i saw that when i was very young and it traumatized me and then when me and mira had an apartment together i was like low-key scared (laughs) i was low-key scared of the garbage disposal (laughs) whenever we got like because i one time we like threw a bunch of rice down it or whatever it was an accident we didn't mean for rice it got clumpy and i as the only one that grew up with a garbage disposal had to stick my full hand in it (laughs) <laughs> i've never seen them before all i know is it chops people's hands off if you don't turn it off or there's not a ghost like you're fine if you're careful but no i i don't trust them just don't stick metal in it and don't turn it on when you're reaching your hand in it anyway the boys don't know about this they go to their dad's old garage to interrogate the co-owner which we get that little lore drop of John left his uh, co-owning a garage job 
to hunt monsters. And there was apparently a Winchester disappearance case. Yeah, because he didn't tell anybody where he was going and took his two small children with him. Very suspicious. <laughs> yeah. And then the guy who co-owns the garage or co-owned the garage drops the name Missouri Mosley. Jensen, uh, not Jensen, <laughs> Dean. <laughs> Jensen Ackles. They're the same person. I've been watching The Boys recently and like thinking about commentary about that, listening <laughs> to commentary on that. So like, he's just Jensen now. Uh, off topic tangent do you remember that that like span of a month where the boys reddit was just like full of straight men thirsting over jensen ackles yeah uh, that's honestly an incredible historical time capsule unfortunately the boys subreddit is like in flames now anyway off topic uh missouri mosley they visit her she knows who they are and she spends the entire rest of the episode negging dean viciously then we go back to the house they don't we the audience go back to the house richie gets richie the little boy not sorry the younger brother richie gets convinced by the ghost to go into the fridge and like gets locked in the fridge l uh he's fine though <laughs> yeah he's fine he's just kind of cold there's no child death in this one <laughs> missouri goes to the house they finally explain to the lady like kind of what they're doing there who doesn't want to let them in because her son almost just died which makes sense but then missouri's like you know i can tell you know something's going on we're gonna help you yeah they basically do some like spiritual cleansing stuff with herbs and bags yeah some more lore for how to take care of evil spirits because um missouri says that she senses two beings and one is like a evil poltergeist but neither were responsible for mary's death because that is also something they're considering throughout the episode like oh is this the thing that got mom but it's not yeah it's not um basically they do this does Sam gets, like, hurt or something. I just remember because they fuck up the living room. And Missouri, once again, is, like, to the woman that owns the house now, is, like, yeah, don't worry. Dean will clean this up. Important to say, I feel like we have kind of somehow avoided this. Missouri's a middle-aged-ish black woman, which, first recurring black character. <laughs> Important to point out. Anyway, they say that the ghost is cleansed or at least missouri says that sam's like mm, i'm not sure but okay i trust you but not really because of his visions yes and then they sam and dean because sam's like mm, i'm not sure they sit to watch the house the woman that owns the house like starts freaking out and like trying to she's just like screaming in the upstairs window like in sam's dream and they go inside and they fight the ghost we have the parallel scene of Sam handing Sari her brother and being like, run outside as fast as you can. Now, don't look back. And then Mary shows up after Sam gets yeeted into the wall. Because surprise, she's the other presence that Missouri, Missouri was sensing. Wow. Who could have seen that? I don't know why this was. And maybe it's just because we haven't had that many 
ghosts yet. The way they filmed Mary felt different from the way they've been filming all the other ghosts. She's, because she's filmed like a character and not like a creature. I don't know if this makes sense, but like we have the, the short sort of, I forget what the actual name of this shot is, but like shoulders up, facing, eyeline going off. And then you do the 180 with the other person, like matching eye lines, that kind of thing. Like, she's shot like a character. And I don't know if that's just because it's Mary, A, it's Mary, B, it's Samantha Smith as an actress is playing the character of Mary Winchester, even if she's a ghost. And so it's not like the other ones where we have a corpse or an invisible guy with a hook. I don't know. This makes more sense to me in my brain. No, no, I get what you're saying. And I think part of it might also... Like, they're framing her as another one of the good guys. Like, she, they don't want her to be shot in the same way a creature. That is it exactly. Is they're framing her like, if we're going back to, like, quote-unquote Dean's perceptions of, like, good and evil, like, she is being framed as one of the good guys who is, like, fighting, helping them in this fight against the poltergeist. Whereas the poltergeist is, like, just... Is the poltergeist invisible? Yes, because the flaming figure is Mary. Yeah, we never see the poltergeist. Yeah. Anyway, she goes into the light. Um, she kills the poltergeist, sets it on fire. Yeah. When they see their mom, she kind of like smiles, nods, says like, Dean. And he is like fixated on her. Oh, yeah. He has, this happens a couple of times. He has like his Mary stare. Yes. Where it's like he's <laughs> seeing his mom. And he, Jensen does this really well. He almost like, you can see him almost revert back into that kid. This comes up in a season five episode and a season three episode. And so he's watching her as she walks away from him and she goes to Sam and she tells Sam that she is sorry. And this is kind of essentially the, probably like the only solid memory Sam is going to have of his mother. Oh, fuck that hurts. Right? <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Cause he was a baby. Yeah, like he'd seen her in pictures before, but now he... Now she's she is a person and not just some lady. Exactly, and she's sorry. For what? You'll have to guess. Let's put a pin in that one. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, they have all of their mementos. We get... I don't know if this is actually one of Jensen Ackles' baby pictures, and he has, like, siblings or like a younger cousin or something or if it is an edited baby photo we get it for like half a second but i am fascinated um or it might be actually the kid that played dean in the pilot i don't know anyway yeah we get some pictures and then at the end of the episode because they've made a point that sam noticed that there was still spirits in there when missouri did not and so Missouri is talking to a mysterious person at the very end of the episode. I'm surprised he could tell that much, like, your boy's got gifts. But he couldn't even notice that his own father was nearby. Pan to John Winchester's face. My note here is John jump scare, murder, 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 kill, kill, kill. <laughs> My notes were... Sam has such powerful abilities, sure would be a shame if they never developed. And lol, John is there and Sam's not able to sense him because he does not give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. Um, <laughs> uh, but Missouri is like, John, you should talk to your kids. What's wrong with you? And he says he won't see them until he knows the truth. Yes. 
another thing that hits slightly differently after the Winchesters. I feel like I do have to say on the podcast, like, out loud, I haven't actually watched the Winchesters, but I have listened to, like, every single podcast about the Winchesters. (laughs) That so doesn't count. (laughs) It doesn't count, but I know a lot about it, unfortunately. (laughs) And, uh, I have literally no fun facts and no weird song moments in this episode. There is no non-score music in this, and all of the super wiki fun facts are either random stuff that shows up again in later seasons, or stuff we've already discussed. Well, anything else to say about this episode? Because I feel like it's technically kind of important. Do I have anything else? I don't think so. We get a poltergeist. This is our first exposure to a poltergeist. They don't really explain anything about, about like... It's basically the... I don't actually remember if they say it. It's like, it's not just like a regular ghost. It's an angry ghost. Extra angry ghost that just fucks shit up for no reason. If anyone wants to keep track of ghosts killed by ghosts, this is ghost number two. <laughs> number two of ghosts killed by ghosts. Yeah. Um. Nobody got kissed in this episode. Or uh, in these three episodes. Neither of the brothers kissed anyone. You know what? Good. They don't need to kiss people all the time. Three episodes streak. <laughs> anyway, what what I was actually going to talk about, I feel like the parallels that they drew here probably work better for people that are A, watching this all for the first time, and also B, watching week to week. Because this is like fully nine weeks after, or eight weeks after the first episode. So it's more like, instead of, say the line... It's like the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme. Right. Of like, yo, I remember that. But once again, we've both seen the pilot so many times that Yeah. They're just like, oh yeah, that's the that's the thing they say. That's the line in the exact same spot in the exact same house. Now let's get into Asylum. Yes. Season one, episode ten. This is directed by Guy Norman B. Uh he comes back and does some episodes in seasons six through ten. Uh, He also worked on shows like Criminal Minds, and then I had to include this just because I found it funny. Do you know the ABC Family show, Kyle XY? It's from like 2006-ish. I, maybe? It's the alien with no belly button. I feel like this. Oh, I forgot to mention something in, um, Bugs. (laughs) Okay. Proceed. Uh, Proceed. What's up? I do recognize this show. Um. About Bugs, the the kid that plays Matt, um, he, he comes back in Supernatural later on. This is not important. He plays Stuart in Letterkenny. <laughs> and the entire time I was watching the episode, I was like, why does this kid seem so familiar? And it's because he's Stuart from Letterkenny. Anyway, going back to Asylum. Kyle XY, alien with no belly button. <laughs> um, And then it was writ- written by Richard... Hatem of he did Phantom Traveler and Mothman Prophecies, you know. We know him. <laughs> we recognize him. Sorry, I'm just reading the ABC Family Wikipedia page now. Um, because I was like, why the fuck would I be watching ABC Family? My family doesn't watch TV, and then I was like, oh, it's the channel that used to do all the Harry Potter reruns. Yeah. I'm just Kyle XY has an episode called Free to Be You and Me, which was nominated for a no! Glad Award. <laughs> I'm going insane and we haven't even started. This is a boring episode. Anyway, Asylum. There's a really long opening. Somehow, 
even though this was really long, it felt shorter than the home one because stuff was actually happening in it. I disagree. <laughs> I found it boring. I started reaching for my phone and I was about to whip out my Peggle Blast game. But I was like, no, I need to pay attention. I also did watch this. We were supposed to record yesterday. I did watch this at 1.5 speed right before we were set to record. So Okay, that's probably why I didn't feel that bad. <laughs> it, it was too long, in my humble opinion. Okay, valid. Anyway, they talk about like, oh, haven't you heard the legend of the asylum? I thought that line was really funny unintentionally. I thought what was really funny is the because it's 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 two cops going into the asylum to like get the kids that broke in or whatever. But when he's saying all this, he's like, "Oh, you haven't heard it because you ain't a local." What was their accent? Like they're supposed to be in Illinois, and I'm like, "You do they do not sound like they're from Illinois." They're generic Vancouver actors. Like <laughs> <laughs> it was not Canadian though. I don't know what they told him to do, or I don't know. They might have been too southern the midwest is southern light right <laughs> anyway there there are actually kids in there they kick him out one of the cops goes home and uh he has a nosebleed on the drive back and then he uh shoots his wife and then himself but we don't see that part supernatural Whoosh. and then uh sam's been calling their dad's contacts Th is this our first reference to pastor jim um i think this is the this is the first reference to Caleb. I think they mentioned Pastor Jim in the pilot? If they would have, they would have mentioned him in the pilot. Anyway, they're trying to see if John's talked to any of them. Dean gets a text with coordinates again, and they go and uh, interrogate this cop. In a really fun way. <laughs> yeah. So Dean pretends to be the media that's, like, harassing this guy, and then Sam buds in and he's the good guy who's like i'm gonna buy you a beer let's get chatting here we have another thing of like how sam and dean operate dean good little soldier something something follow dad's orders like because he's the one that got the coordinates and he's like yeah we should go here and sam's like we should try to find dad fuck what dad thinks we we hashed this out in bugs <laughs> we hashed this out like before bugs too but <laughs> the show keeps doing it the show ke keeps doing it and i'm gonna keep bringing it up until we get to season five then sam gets all this information out of this guy but we don't know that yet they go outside dean's like yo you hit me a little too hard and sam's like i'm method he's a method actor then they go back to like the motel room or they check out the asylum um I don't remember. I just have, did Dean just make a don't ask, don't tell joke? He did. He very much so did. I forgot the context, but I was taken aback. It was I th something about Sam's psychic powers. Hey, it's 2005. Yeah, it was 2005, but. Yeah, it's not actually related to don't ask, don't tell. He just says that. No, 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 no. I didn't mean like Dean as a character. I meant like the writers. It's like 2005 homophobia joke-esque thing is what i don't know how prominent it was i we're showing our age that we're babies it probably was i mean there was a lawsuit there was a pretty notable lawsuit in 2006 i can tell from the don't ask don't tell wikipedia which i opened right now not that it matters i just i was like i said i was taken back a bit we are approximately five years too young to 
know how homophobic this was. But then uh, Dean makes the joke of who's the hotter psychic. And then he lists three. No, he lists two female psychics and Sam. I just know the answer is Jennifer Love Hewitt. Dean will not stop making references this entire episode. He, it's just, that's his entire dialogue when he's not, like, giving exposition or, like, directing people. It's just reference after reference after reference. Anyways, I love Jennifer Love Hewitt and The Ghost Whisperer. Continue. I have never watched it. Then they find references to the asylum in John's journal, because we're still doing that for some reason. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I guess, okay, this makes sense. It's because their dad sent them on this, and he has, like, unfinished work there that he didn't get to finish, and that's why he's sending them there. But, like, I find John's journal to be, like, such a plot device. Like, a lazy plot device. If it's not related to the overarching plot, I'm generally just, like, they don't need to find all the lore via the journal. Like, they can just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, uh, Dean, at some point while they're in the asylum, says, like, why would you go into a place that you think is haunted? TLDR of the entire show. This will not make sense if you haven't seen the show before, but insert yellow fever monologue here. Anyway, they figure out that the guy who ran this asylum, his last name, and then turns out there's a therapist with this last name, so Sam goes to therapy. I found this scene kind of cringe. What were your thoughts? It was awkward and very cringe. It wasn't like Jared Padalecki's fault, I think. I think the the writing was just like... Yeah, because Sam is like trying to fish for information about the asylum and the guy's like, I see you're deflecting. It's because you don't want to talk about your emotions. But it wasn't working. (laughs) I think the most important part of this awkward conversation was... The guy's like, he he gives him the history and he's like, okay, now I'll tell you about that. And now you have to tell me, how do you really feel about your brother? And it cuts. And this is the first time we don't get to hear Sam's feelings. Yeah. Honestly, I think that the scene would have worked fine if after the first time that Sam asked that question, we just had that like ending part instead of Sam pressing like three different times. If it was just like, oh, okay, this is very painful for me. You very clearly have something very painful that has happened to you. We can exchange information. Because that's like a legitimate therapy tactic that like therapists use. Or maybe it was just my therapist in middle school who like unloaded a bunch of stuff about her personal life on me. Anyway, I have a note here that's Sam the liar. Oh, when he comes out and talks to Dean. And he's like, nothing happened in there. We got it all the information we need. Nothing happened. But basically, all the inmates, not inmates, patients, patients, anyway, they figure out that there's no unrecovered bodies, or that there are unrecovered bodies still in there, including the body of the doctor who is related to the therapist. Then we cut to a scene that at first I thought it was Sam, um, but no, it's, it's some guy, I think his name's like Greg or something, Gavin, him and his girlfriend are spelunking and she really doesn't want to be there but he's like yo it's cool she is was it just me or did she remind you of cassie from euphoria not like sydney sweeney but specifically like season one of euphoria cassie i didn't watch euphoria i also didn't really watch euphoria but like 
I, I know what Cassie looks like. I'm going to go with no, she did not remind me of Cassie. So the Ga- Gavin and his girlfriend are looking around the asylum. He gets smooched by a ghost. At first he thinks it's his girlfriend, but then it's not. Kind of freaks out. We cut back to Sam and Dean with their camera and EMF meter, picking up ghost orbs and a bunch of other readings, but they're not finding that anything is attacking them. So Sam Sam makes the comment, you know, it's really weird that they're not attacking me, but Dean says that it's, they still seem kind of aggressive and especially just because of like how many of them there are that they need to be paying attention, not getting all, oh, but what if it wants to talk to me? Which, spoilers, that's what Sam does and that turns out to be the correct thing to do. Um, They run into Kat, Gavin's girlfriend. The one that looks like Cassie from Euphoria. Allegedly. She mentions that she heard Gavin scream, but she doesn't know where he is. Um, She won't leave until she finds her boyfriend. So Sam and Dean split up. Sam goes off on his own and Dean is with Kat. Uh, They really should have like sent Kat somewhere else because this becomes relevant later of like, she is actively in danger throughout the entire rest of this episode because she didn't leave. Yeah. Eventually, Sam finds Gavin. He's like, hey, I know who you are. We found your girlfriend. We're going to get you out of here. Uh, did you see anything? And he's like, yeah, this ghost kissed me. And Sam's like, okay. But he's starting to put pieces together because Gavin mentions that she whispered something into his ear. He doesn't know what it was, though. So Sam is pretty confident that the ghosts are trying to communicate with them. Then with Dean and Kat, Kat gets dragged into her room and the door locked. Um, So Dean's trying to bust open the door. Kat's screaming. Sam and Gavin join them. And Sam's like, all right, stop screaming. Just face the ghost and listen to it. And obviously everyone else is like, Sam, what the fuck? This ghost is going to kill us. But he's like, trust me, deep breaths, listen to the ghost. So everything goes quiet a minute. Kat comes out of the room and she tells them 137. The ghost told her the number 137 and Sam and Dean realize it's a room number. So they decide that Dean's going to go see what's in the room while Sam gets the two civilians out of danger. Yeah, and then Sam and the kids get trapped. At some point during this scene, Gavin turns to Sam and is like, Wait, so, like, you guys just do this for a living? And Sam's like, yeah. And he's like, so is Dean your boss or something? And Sam's like, loaded silence. No, he's not. I think Sam is having this, like, in addition to being annoyed with these two dumb kids, he's having this realization that he says, you know, like, fuck off to John. And he is asking Dean, like, earlier in the episode, he's like, bro, you're 26 years old. Why are you marching around following daddy's orders? And in this moment, Sam is like, I could do that to Dean, too. You know, he could say, no, Dean, I'm not going to follow you to this asylum just because dad sent you the coordinates. Like, he's not the boss of me in the same way. Dean isn't the boss of him. But I guess as the outside viewer, I would be like, yeah, the difference is Sam respects Dean in a way he doesn't respect John, I think. But I think in this moment, Sam might be questioning that. That is loaded. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but I need to stew on it. I need to let it ferment a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Question it. Challenge it, please. We'll get back to it. Okay. <laughs> so Sam's trying to get these kids out, but then he gets a phone call. From Dean. No, but it's not Dean. Oh. We find this out later. Yeah. He leaves 
them with a shotgun and he gives the shotgun to Kat because like girl boss moment she knows how to shoot a gun then Dean found like a bunch of evidence of medical misconduct and like torture experimentation like human experimentation from before the 70s average illegal stuff going on exploiting the mentally ill average stuff you would expect to see in an asylum from before the invention of like medical ethics yep in his notes he's like oh yeah extreme anger as a way to level out people's emotions if you induce extreme anger then they won't feel it the rest of the time i'm sure this is how emotions work and you're not just like to quote rave sachet noted tumblr famous person you're not just rolling a little marble to make the divot in your brain even stronger of like your automatic responses to stimuli so as dean's gathering this evidence sam is going to where the phone call led him and he gets jumped by a ghost who claims he will make him all better with palpatine lightning dean finds Gavin and Kat, who are like, um, Sam got a phone call from you saying to go to the basement. And Dean's like, God damn it. Now we gotta go to, now I gotta go to the basement. <laughs> Cause something lured him there. Also important note, Kat, not Cassie, Kat, uh, shoots Dean. Oh yes. With rock salt. Or she doesn't shoot him. She shoots like just above his head and he's like, a fucking chill. It's just me, please. But to be fair, like. Sam did tell her like, shoot first ask questions later so the sam winchester way the john winchester way <laughs> they're more similar than they'd like to admit yeah anyway dean goes to see what's up with sam and uh sam attacks him yes sam sam's not right sam's not right in the head he gets dean pinned down he's like brandishing a gun at him and i don't know why but i'm not ragging on jared Padalecki. But he has, like, a go-to very specific line delivery cadence. And it's in full force in this scene. And once I noticed it, I couldn't unsee it. It's got, like, a very specific rhythm to it. I know what you mean. And it sounded, like, kind of robotic in a way. But I just... I think that's fine because he's, he's brainwashed right now, you know? Yeah, he is possessed right now. We're supposed to know that something's wrong with him, I think. This also, once again, might be effect an effect of watching it at 1.5 speed. Is that the roboticness of it came out even more because it was, like, faster. Um, Dean gives him a gun to shoot him, quote-unquote. Um, before we go into that, I don't have any specific manifestos, but just to comment on the conversation they're having, because Sam is like, I'm not possessed by a ghost making me irrationally angry. I'm finally normal now. Why should I listen to you? Why are you following dad's orders? Blah, blah, blah. So again, I think this was part of lumping it to my comment, comment of earlier, Sam had that realization of like, why do I have to follow Dean's orders? And now when he's become irrationally angry, he is like lashing out at Dean. But truthfully, he doesn't feel that way, you know? Yeah, or if like, even if he does feel that way at his core, he is able to acknowledge the framework around it. This is going back to like, oh, what episode? It was Bloody Mary, right? When Dean was like, ghosts are stupid. Yes. It's kind of going back to that where like, he's under the influence of a ghost and so the anger that is being instilled in him via that ghost is making it impossible for him to kind of 
add a context to his emotions, I feel like is how this one works, of like, you're really angry, what's the thing that would make you angry? Oh, it's this. Because of the level of anger and also because it's like the influence of a ghost, you can't rationalize your way through it. Because like, even people with extreme anger issues, once they kind of are aware of it, are, like, that's the whole point of stuff like going to therapy is like, figuring a way to bring yourself down and rationalize your way through it until you ride out that anger and stuff. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it feels like a point. Yeah, no, that I get something, you. Something, something, Sam. Something, something, Sam, just to balance out my Dean manifestos. You're like 15 minutes of talking about Dean Winchester in the Supernatural episode Bugs. <laughs> Stop framing it like that i will not because it's so it, when you first texted me that i was like this is gonna be the funniest thing to happen <laughs> in the entire run of this show it's not there's gonna be more absurdism but i do my best um they find the body of the guy oh i feel like it's important to mention the patients like rioted and uh killed this guy in his secret torture basement good for them and then dean sets it on fire in a wooden cabinet question mark and then the ghost dies by crumbling like a statue which is not the way that not liquefaction yeah i guess they ran out of cgi money <laughs> or maybe they got more maybe the crumbling was more expensive maybe uh anyways sam's back to normal now sam's normal now I just have a note that they're making up. Yeah, so Sam apologizes for what he said back there, and Dean's like, you remember that? Awkward. And Sam's like, we should probably talk about it. But Dean says no, that's some pussy shit, essentially. Is this the first no chick flick moments? Uh, no, he doesn't even say that in this one, I don't think. He said that a couple episodes ago, I don't remember which one. Did he? I think so. Oh no, it is in the first episode. It's after he- we didn't even talk about this, after Dean jumps off the bridge and is like covered in shit. But in the, uh, in the hotel room afterwards. Or motel, sorry. Erasing their, uh, blue-collar working class <laughs> roots. Anyway, they make up. We go back to a motel room. D Dean's phone starts ringing and we get- Another choice shot of Jensen Ackles shirtless. It's like, I'm normal, I'm normal. Anyway, Sam picks up the phone and he's like, Dad? What? The end. Any thoughts about the episode? Like I said, um, before we started recording, I was like, I've got three pages on bugs and then a couple lines on Asylum. <laughs> to be fair, that was me last week. You carried us last week a little bit. We had a good Hookman discussion. We had an incredible Hookman discussion. Yeah, I guess for this episode, again, we're learning more about Dean and Sam's perception, 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 perception. Yes, of each other. And I think it was a good cliffhanger moment, considering last time we find out that John is saying, like, I'm not going to talk to them until I know the truth. And then he calls them now. So. It's like, oh, how about you? Any, like, thoughts on this episode? Um, I am question. Uh, this is gonna sound bad. I'm questioning whether I like Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, and I feel like it might just be a season one thing, because the batting average so far for, like, 
better than mid is not great. And Asylum is like, it's not bad. And it's not boring, necessarily. I think it might just be too procedural for me. I have realized that I don't like procedural TV. I like very, very intensely overarchingly plotted TV that makes me feel bad. And there are seasons of Supernatural that feel like that, but this is not one of them. Or at least the first half of this season is not one of them. Right. I don't think, I get I get what you're saying, because I was kind of feeling that last week. I forgot which episode really made me think <laughs> that. Of Do I even like Supernatural? Yeah, because I'm like, do I only like the Supernatural I've made up in my head? <laughs> but I think it is just season one and especially because pretty much the entire writing and directing team changes after season one yeah and also we're at the establishing part of season one right the plot hasn't really kicked in like we mentioned literally like the last episode is the first hint of a plot we get we're we're curving over the the hump of midway of the season it's network tv in the mid-2000s which means it has to have 22 episodes. They're not all going to be winners. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, those not winners are going to be in the early middle of the season. Because at the end of the season, you got to ramp up to the finale. Yes, we're going to have some bangers soon. We're going to have some bangers soon, and that's what's holding me out. But between last episode, where we mainlined four episodes of this show that don't really matter and this episode where we mainlined three one of which matters <laughs> one of which matters and the other one was bugs <laughs> yeah and asylum is also here <laughs> and asylum's also here and one of the protagonists is a cop like anyway songs songs in the beginning of the scene where they're talking to the cop in the bar and they're doing their whole their tiktok skit the song's supposed to be hey you by bachman turner overdrive i'm guessing is how you say that and then fun facts uh one of the people playing pool in that bar was apparently a crew member and then this is why i brought up that episode two is going to become relevant so they find the information about the uh asylum in john's journal this is notably in on the page after the page for the monster in episode two because you can see that like sketch that they saw in episode two that page was not there in episode two and it's in a different spot later on in the show so like the order of pages in john's journal is not consistent you would think it's a prop they would have it in an order and then not really touch it but i guess they just decided nah fuck that any other thoughts about this episode other than questioning our will to live funniest lines in this episode were method acting and jennifer love hewitt i rest my case <laughs> also oh no i just saw what we're covering next week tell us mira tell us next week we're gonna be covering three episodes again scarecrow faith which we will have a lot to say about and then route 666 a.k.a. the racist truck episode, which we will also probably have a lot to say about. Whew, deep sigh. Well, that's all we've got for now, so see you next time. Bye! Bye.